Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. We've got our entire full schedule set. It's been, uh, Barton, an an exhausting weekend, but we have made it to this moment. And after uh, all of the insanity and our many thanks to our, our those of you who watched on CBS Sports HQ, those of you who came into the live blog, we've been humming basically it feels like through the entire weekend, but our postseason is set. Week 14 in the books. Uh, so I get Barton Simmons, who's your national champion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we've, we've already been asked for our picks. Right. This is not going to be a preview pod. No, we, we're, no. We're gonna pat, now that we're setting the, the uh, agenda for this show, I'm going to pass on making any predictions for playoffs or national championships. Because I don't want you to make me double down on it for four weeks. <laughs> I won't believe it anymore. <laughs> no. uh, th- th- how about this? All right, let's, can we open up uh, the conversation? I'm going to use a quote that you you used on CBS Sports HQ that I think is important when looking at the, the college football playoff. And, and if you have been living under a rock through Sunday and you're listening to this Monday morning and you don't know, it is Alabama 1, it is Clemson 2, it is Notre Dame 3, it is Oklahoma 4, it is Georgia number five, Ohio State, and then UCF. So the word I test was thrown around a lot, particularly as it uh, pertains to Ohio State, whether it's the way they performed against lesser opponents or the you know getting beat and blown out of the water by Purdue. But you used a, a phrase I liked a lot. It's that our eyes can lie. And, and I, want, I almost wanted to start the discussion there. I want to get you to expand on that a little bit because I think it's an important thing for us to come back to when we're trying to decide between best and most deserving, which is a conversation we've had going on this podcast for most of the season, but also just in, in trying to understand uh, who we want to be going to compete for a national championship. Yeah. I, this is, I think, this is sort of my most principled stance as it relates to the playoffs is that, yeah, you, our eyes can lie. Um, and the, the phrasing I used on Twitter is when we start thinking that we can outsmart or that we are smarter than the results, um, when we can discount results because you know what, what I saw overrides and supersedes that, I think, I think you're getting yourself into the trouble. And I think our eyes lie all the time. And what we expect to happen, and what we know to be true, deep in our core, we know how good a team is or how bad a team is. No matter how convicted we are, no matter how smart we are, no matter you know who we are in terms of our football acumen, we, we get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's why I like it. it and, and I want to say this too. Like I am not a Kirk, Kirk Herbstreet hater. I think he is one of the best. I love Kirk Herbstreet. I think he does a great job. But when Kirk Herbstreet says Georgia's one of the top four teams in the country. There's no doubt they should be in. They should be three. I, I think back and I'm like, man, you were, we're – we are three weeks removed from you saying Michigan should be in there over Notre Dame and that Michigan is one of the top four teams in the country and there's no doubt. 
And then Michigan goes and gets walloped by Ohio State. And it happens every year. Like the other thing I was thinking about in this was like the 2002 Miami team. Ooh. I mean, that is objectively one of the best teams of all time. Like that. Agreed. Like yes. That is, a, that is a freak show superhero team. Okay. And they got beat by a really good Ohio State team. And that Ohio State team figured out ways to win. And even the victory was a little bit flawed by like a, a weird pass interference penalty call. So should we now retroactively go back and say, I know you won Ohio State, but Miami's the best team. They're the champions because look, that's what my eyes tell me. That's what – so my point in all this is like the only argument for Georgia is they look like the best team in college football. All right, well, how do you know? How do any of us know? Right. And, and, and I, I also believe that. I believe Georgia is a top four team in college football, and yet I believe that it is indefensible to put them in given that they have a 20-point loss to LSU, given that they just lost to uh, Alabama, and given that Oklahoma – look, it's not as if we don't have another good option. Oklahoma is a good option. They have one loss all season, three points to a rival, and that's, that has been sort of my sticking point in this debate is – we can, we're not allowed to be so arrogant as to think our eyes and our eye test is more valid than what the results on the field have given us. And let me follow that up with uh, another detail because one of the big uh, statistics or uh, facts that people would point to when they were making the argument for Georgia is the Las Vegas odds. Odds makers go ahead and they set all these odds of what Georgia would be uh, against all these other teams, and Georgia would be favored by three. Georgia would fav- be favored by nine. Georgia would be favored by ten. And yeah. Las Vegas, for the NFL, has it nailed. Like, almost every single year in the NFL, favorites and underdogs are about 50-50. Overs and unders are about 50-50. They are statistically much, much worse at college football. And it's because, shocker, we're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds that are just strapping it up uh, for a single game. And they've got, other, they've got other hopes and dreams and concerns. And that aspect of this is a variable enough that we should not take uh, a Las Vegas consideration or... Uh, much love to Sportsline. Use the the promo code Parlay. Get your first month for a dollar. But like a, a Sportsline simulation, like whatever it is, that's fine. But we're not dealing with professionals. We're not dealing with robots. We are dealing with college football players. So you have to come back to the results because otherwise you're just going to be falling into an expectation that no team, not even in Alabama or a Clemson, is going to be able to meet. Yeah, and let's remember. I mean, Alabama nearly lost, and they're a 13 point favorite. And, and let's also say, like, I'm glad you brought up the Vegas thing because if that's what we're going to do, if we're going to say, hey, scrap the regular season, scrap wins and losses to an extent, it's about who's the best team. Then let's stop the charade of putting Condoleezza Rice and Bobby Johnson and Barry Alvarez in a room and let's, and let's go ask the people who are best at this and let's ask Vegas and just say, hey, Vegas – uh, since this is a whole, whole point here is to get the, the best teams, give us, give us who the, who your, your Vegas top five would be and, or your Vegas top four. 
uh, let, let's make these point spreads as small as possible. And let's, 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 you're the experts. Let's, I mean, so let's just, of course we're not going to do that. So I think the, the, the argument that, uh, we all know who the top four, who the top four teams are. I think that's bogus. We, you gotta, you have at some point things that happen over the course of a college football game in the regular season have to have consequences. And so for that reason, I think I think the committee got right, and and really, I mean, there's a lot of tough tough guys out there saying Georgia should be in or Notre Dame should be right out or what. But really, I mean, does anybody really believe that this is sort of just the wrong decision? I think I think most people honestly think this is. If you're in the committee room, it's going to take some pretty big stones to go something other than the four that we've decided on and what we have seen in terms of the decisions on selection Sunday after conference championship Saturday time and time again I think back to the Baylor TCU debate Ohio State gets in you you look back to last year Alabama gets in this year Oklahoma gets in time and time again the committees all like they they might throw out words like game control strength to schedule uh all quality wins quality losses when it comes down to their final tough decisions, they will almost always go the path of least resistance, and that is Alabama 1, Clemson 2, Notre Dame 3, Oklahoma 4. By the way, apologies uh, to Michigan fans. Michigan was 7, not UCF number 7. Michigan was 8. I, I have it pulled up right now, Barton, because have you uh, seen what's been floating around the 2018 schedule uh, all the way run through the BCS formula? No. The final, if if the BCS standings, because honestly, and Reese Davis said this on the show, no one doubts who the best two teams are, right? Right. I mean, nobody. I mean, if this would be a great year for the BCS, we don't even worry right. with anything else. We just sit around and wait for Alabama and Clemson to go strap it up. But though, though, and not to not to cut off your momentum on whatever point you're about to make, but that how how would BCS top two? Yes, and then. Notre Dame, an undefeated team, even though everyone doesn't think they're that would be pretty, that would be a tough pill for uh, college football to swallow to watch an undefeated Notre Dame sit from the sidelines. We say that now, but Auburn did it. Didn't USC do it too? Did they? No, not U- USC. Might have had a loss in there. Um, I was trying to think about whatever their record was in the shared national championship. But I mean, is this the first? Is this the first playoff where there's been an undefeated team? It, where there's been three undefeated. No, well, my, my, or I guess uh, Alabama was undefeated going in. No, they weren't. Um, well, certainly for the but there's there's never been there's never been more than one undefeated team. I'm just trying to think who the undefeated team has been. Well, uh, we can pull it up. <laughs> I, cr- I crushed the momentum on whatever you're at whatever point you're heading towards. So, oh, uh, I was just, I hear I'll go ahead and say uh, BCS is exactly the same top six. Okay. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Um, so, yeah, we normally have... So we had Alabama was only the one undefeated team in 2016. Clemson was the only undefeated team in 2015. And... So we've never had this... like this Florida many, State no- was undefeated, but number three in 2014 yeah we've never had this many undefeated teams in the college football playoff era which like 
which is sort of the the way I've looked at this is just this. Uh, there's a huge middle class. Uh, there is, that's the wrong way to say it. There, there's, there's what six good options, because even if like in a lot in, in most years, Ohio State, everyone will be very comfortable with them in there at number four. The problem is, Oklahoma looks better and Georgia looks better. So you know people would be fine with Georgia in the, most years. People would be fine with Oklahoma in most years. We got seven good options. Uh, and then there's just there's very there's a bunch of these nine and three eight and four seven and five six and six teams after them and so there's a really elite class there's a big middle class and then there's garbage so th- it's just a it's a tough year if you are one of those playoff contenders because there's three well I guess I mean yeah three really good options. Have you gotten uh, a chance to start to take a look at the the full bowl schedule and start to circle the games that you're the most excited about? I got a couple. I got a couple. I got a couple. Uh, big, who you like? I love love Texas A&M and NC State in the Gator Bowl. I think that's perfect. Texas A&M and NC State are like. Uh, they're like in the two different universes. They don't realize they're playing similar roles, and right. and and, yeah. and they when they all meet each other and when they run into each other around the Jacksonville area, I think it's going to make for a fantastic fantastic atmosphere. I think both teams are going to do a pretty decent job of traveling, and then you just add on the fact that Jimbo has played NC State what eight nine times already, and. NC State, if it wins the game, it'll be the second time ever, first time since Phillip Rivers that they've won double-digit games. Like, I, I was just – that that just triggered me where I was talking to NC State friends is like, all we got to do is beat Jimbo, and that's to get to 10. Oh, hell yeah, let's strap it up. And I loved that energy. Texas a and NC State might be my favorite bowl. NC State is still very much an enigma to me. It's just like a weird team. I don't know what to, what to think about. And by the way – I screwed up because we were done with the locks pod. That was when I got done. I was like, you know what? I should have gone NC State against East Carolina. Holt Knowledge is hurt. Uh, NC State's going to cover that. And if I had gone NC State, that would have been 9 0. Oh, we haven't even talked and about that, our tie. <laughs> that would have been for Nelly and I. I had a furious Jalen Hurts led comeback to tie for Nelly. In the locks, and if I had picked NC State, I would have I would have completed the comeback. Um, but great week, by the way. Hats off. Oh, that's God. That's a, that's a good feeling to go out like that. Uh, but my favorite bowl, the one I'm most excited about, is right here in Nashville. Oh, I've got something that on my this, list too. Something <laughs> yes. about this Purdue Auburn game has me kind of juiced. Are you going to go? I don't, know, I don't know what it is about that matchup, but it just like I. It's, it fascinates me. I really am anxious for that one. Well, one, all right. So it, it starts with the relationship with the coaches, right? One, like the Purdue fan base, there. This is our prince that can do no wrong. He just right. he, he just chose us <laughs> over going home. Yeah. Like Jeff yeah. Brom is a made man. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> Gus Malzahn is far from a made man at Auburn to the point where he might even be signing deals to limit his own buyout. Uh, 
Yeah, no, we're going in very opposite directions in terms of the general fan enthusiasm, but two great offensive mind, tons of insane skill talent. I mean, I'm definitely picking Purdue to win. And that, and because Purdue's, I, I haven't, are they uh, underdogs? I'm uh, sure. I would, I would imagine that they are. And the other thing is, like, both these teams are, you know, Auburn's not that far removed from being in the college football playoffs. And Purdue's not that far from being 2-10. and 10. And, <laughs> you know, they're just sort of like kind of, I don't know, a, a uh, two different two different weight classes or two different, uh, sure. you know, economic classes or something. And they're just sort of meeting up with this sort of clash and style class. You know, I, I don't, it's just, I don't know. I just like a lot of, like a lot of the sort of subplots of that one. Well, all right. I, that is also on my list. Uh, West Virginia, Syracuse is on my list. I am. I, I hope that we have a West Virginia cause Jake Spavital, the offensive coordinator is taking the head coach job at Texas state. Dana Holgerson has had his name connected to several jobs, but as time has moved on, I don't know about you, Barton, but I'm not hearing any buzz that is suggesting Dana's going to go. Will Greer has a decision to make on, you know, whether he's even going to play, but if both teams are full strength, West Virginia and Syracuse is a uh, buckle up, take the over and get ready for the game to be decided in the nineties kind of game. And I love that. And I think that could be fun. How about the flip side of this one? Um, while you're having fun splashing around in some points, uh, I am sort of stoked about the out- Outback Bowl. Mississippi State <laughs> and Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> just uh, just blue-collar ball yeah. up and down the field. Uh, that, that, one's, that, that might be my favorite one right there. That's going to be fun. All right. Um, I will take your Mississippi State, Iowa, and I will raise you in northwestern Utah when they meet oh, in the Holiday Bowl. <laughs> what a gross game that is. <laughs> a rock fight of a game. Uh, that is on New Year's Eve uh, in San Diego, 4 p.m. local time, 7 p.m. Uh, over on the East Coast on FS1. Yeah. if uh, there, There's going to be some... So that happens at the same time as Texas A&M and NC State. And there's going to be a New Year's Eve party by some, being hosted by someone who doesn't know football very well, who turns to the wrong game and has this one on. <laughs> that is seriously, though, who's, who is going to turn that game on that, does, that doesn't have an affiliation to those schools over NC State A&M? That, so- that takes a sick person. It's it, no, it's someone who doesn't know football and just types in Alexa, play football. <laughs> <laughs> that is the saddest New Year's Eve party, the one that accidentally plays Northwestern Utah instead. Um, uh, you got I'll another give you one? one more? I right. one more that I'm kind of excited about. Um, I really think it's going to be a fun watch to see Houston and Army. Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's just a little too off brand, like a little too like no, 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 no. hipster, right. like a, so sort of like a hipster game. It is, it is for sure a hipster game, but it's also a capital D degenerate game because that was one of the uh, off the radar texts that I got this afternoon. Was like, ooh, what do you think about this Houston Army under? Like, <laughs> whoa, what? 
that's a yeah those are our that's that's a listener i hope yeah no, absolutely it's a listener but yeah. i mean you know the logic being if if Derek king's not going to play and if the houston offense is going to be limited and if auburn's going to play a bunch of ball control get a seven point lead and sit on it the whole time like i i can totally see it happening but boy there's a there's there's an athletic differential like army's defense has played above its head all season but I, I'm fascinated to see what it does going up against Houston's skill position players. I think that'll be an over. You think I, that they I, both I think, get loose? I, think, I don't think either team will be able to stop the other one. Yeah, because that happens. I mean, Houston plays Navy every year. They're division rivals. So it's not yeah. like Houston is not uh, used to dealing with okay. that type of attack. But they've been really bad this year at stopping the run. <sighs> and, and, and Ed Oliver, man in the middle, won't be there. Right. So... I'll give you one more too, and you may have another one too. But I, I'm, I am maybe it's the Nashville in me, but I, I'm fascinated by Baylor Vandy in the Academy Sports and Outdoor Texas Bowl. Uh, two teams that are thrilled to be bowling. Uh, I, I'm, I just that that game's that game's gonna suck me in. I think. Do you think that Georgia Tech Minnesota is a lock of the week for or against Paul Johnson in his farewell game? I would not bet against Paul Johnson in that one. I already requested. Would you? No, no, no. I already requested a prop on if we could do, select the number of trick plays that Georgia Tech's going to run. The number of completely insane multiple shifts, motions, handoffs, like every crooked old Newland, Western North Carolina mountains, high school offense play that Paul Johnson has is about to be taught over the next 15 bowl practices and broken out in what is likely going to be his farewell with Power 5 football. All right. I'm going to I'm gonna real-time brainstorm an idea for a show here. A pre, like Before we start getting into the locks, I want to do a – maybe it's not a show. Maybe it's just a segment. Probably it's just a segment. But an audit across the board, every bowl game, and – identify every motivational mismatch, every this team wants to be there, every this team's playing with a bunch of GAs as their coaches. Uh, that's all bowl season's about. That's all, that's, that's, that is the most important information is what team cares and what team doesn't and why. What team has a coach that is outgoing and will that make them play hard or will that make them not give a rat's took us <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what we're allowed to say on this and so i i think I, we need to do some real research for the people and give them a motivation pod the motiva- motivation section yeah no 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 no. the a motivation pod a bowl audit i don't know how we brand it or how we frame it but you uh absolutely yes listeners i promise you what barton just said we're going to be giving it to you uh here over the month of december before we get rolling in bowl season, and once we get into it, for sure. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's let's start to you know look back at this. I mean, we're not going to go into uh, you know going in depth specifically with the matchup ahead, but we will take it on a uh, semifinal by semifinal basis in terms of our grouping here for Alabama. When you've got the Jalen Hurts uh, story, and when you've got the the Jalen Hurts moment. We've had some time to digest it. 
there is the the poetry to it, the the storybook. I mean, the phrase that was being uh, shared often by multiple people who don't even follow each other is like, you, "Who is writing this? You cannot write this." And, you know, out goes to a. They needed Jalen Hurts to be able to compete for a national championship. They needed Jalen Hurts to win an SEC championship. You know what? What is what is going to be some of your lingering memories of that uh, Alabama an instant classic SEC championship from Alabama's comeback win against the Dogs? That that game was so. I, I want to re. I want like I, I watched that game intently, but I want to rewatch it because I feel like there's a lot that happened in that game that I've already sort of started to forget. Um, but I'll say this about the Jalen Hurts thing. I mean, not only did he. I mean, the storybook was everything it's being billed to be for sure. But I'll go so far as to say this. I mean, if Tua doesn't get knocked out of the game, meaning if he's still pobbled, they don't win. I mean, the fact that he got so injured that he had to leave and they had to put Jalen Hurts in is the only reason Alabama wins that game. Because Tua just wasn't himself. I think physically he just didn't have it. His legs weren't under him. He didn't have the suddenness in the pocket. He couldn't react the way he wanted to. It's he's he's programmed to uh, try to extend plays and to never give up on a play. And there's only been a couple of teams all year that have exposed that sort of vulnerability. And when he was and then this is the is Mississippi State and Georgia were the only two that have really really tested him in that regard. And he couldn't resist trying to extend plays, and he couldn't resist getting injured more. But I don't think they were going to go to Jalen Hurts if, if Tua didn't have to go to the injury tent. Jalen Hurts comes on the field, and he was exactly what they needed. It was a total change of pace from Tua. Georgia's defense had, had a hard time handling him. And credit Jalen for being awesome. I mean, he, he made plays. He wasn't, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't just that the, you know, the, the C parted for him. It wasn't just that he was fine open player. And, and, and credit Mike Loxley, the offensive coordinator, for, for drawing up some good plays for him. Credit Dan Enos, their quarterback's coach, for having him ready. Um, but it was... I mean, I it was a it lot was, of over the middle to Irv Smith and comeback routes for Jalen Waddle. Well, it was, but I, but I felt like he was very... He was good. Uh, he, I mean, poised, he's... Yeah, yeah, yes. Patient, and yes. and, and, the, and he, when he delivered the ball, he delivered them... I mean, he hit his spots, you know. He put it in places where those guys could make plays with it afterwards. And that touchdown pass was... Um, oh, the Jerry Judy he, touchdown pass? Yeah, the one yeah. where he rolled out. I mean, that was, that was, a, you know, that was a great throw. That was a great throw. Um, I, I think what will go often overlooked in that game is going to be, I think it's three or four Georgia possessions in a row, none of them more than five plays. And I think three or four of them are three and outs. Like Oklahoma's defense, and you know, we're gonna obviously bridge this thing to Oklahoma here in a little bit. Oklahoma's defense has been ripped left, down, up, right, all over the place. But the one thing that it did against West Virginia, and the thing it did again against Texas, is it is it has been opportunistic. Uh, Ruffin McNeil has had the right call at the right time. They've been able to come in there and make plays. And and that's kind of where I, I look at, obviously, an Alabama defense that we have praised on this podcast a lot, one that has so much better production and so much better, you know, so, so much better evidence on film that it is an elite defense. But in that game, 
like at the one moment when they absolutely had to go out there and get stops. I mean, they, you know, Quinn and Williams was getting pressure. Like they were, they were finding ways to set the edge. They were finding ways to get into the backfield, to stand up Deandre Swift and Elijah Holyfield at the line of scrimmage. The, the defensive stops during that comeback, I think will go overlooked and probably resonate with me as much as the, the Jalen hurts aspect of this story. I also think one of the things in that game that was was startling was, look, I, I remember we were talking about it on the lock spot. So, did you have you had Bama, right? Yeah. So you had Bama. Tom and I had Georgia, and 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 as we were arguing it and debating it, I remember Tom making this point, and I, and I thought it was a good one. And he was like, you know, I can't remember how he set it up, but ultimately it's like, you know, Georgia's got an advantage in special teams, and Georgia is you know, that's an area where Georgia can make up some ground. And Georgia, Georgia special teams are bad. The punt game was off. I thought the, when they missed that field goal in the second half, was it, was it fourth quarter? Um, no. Late, late, late in the third? Yeah. I think it was late, maybe late in the third. Late in the third. That, that, I felt like that kind of deflated them a little bit. Yep. Um, and then, of course, I mean, I don't know what your take was on this, but like, I don't know how you defend that fake punt call i don't know i don't know what the what the coaching defense of that is but because that was look man you got a you got a backup quarterback in who just had a good drive on a short field but make, make him do it again give him a long field give him you know kick the ball it's a tie game right and that's, I mean, that, yeah, that's what gets me is you, you didn't need a spark. Right. Uh, you didn't, you didn't need to energize your team in that moment. It felt like that was, it felt like it was a, um, that spoke to the confidence or lack thereof that Kirby Smart had in his defense at that moment to stop Alabama. I felt like he, he was saying, if we punt it away right now, they're going to go win the game, score. and they yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. I so have you seen Kirby's defense? Uh, what was? Uh, yeah, but I can't remember what it was. It comes. It comes. Was, wasn't. He said it comes down to it took us too long to snap the ball. We weren't organized, and we had it if they had snapped it right away. But we took so long to snap it that Alabama recognized it and got him covered up. So it was an execution. And again, to your point, it was bad special teams. Uh, it was an execution issue. And yeah. they they missed, man. And, you know, I excuse me for not being sad for Georgia, right? I mean, we're talking about a team that based on its very, very quick elevation in the brief time that Kirby Smart has been there, I have no reason to doubt that Georgia is going to be able to be right back in this position again. And sometimes throughout the history of college football, that's the way that these stories go is you've got to make it to a certain point and you've got to lose a little bit and you've got to lose into some heartbreaking fashion. And then you have your breakthrough moment and then you win that national championship or, or you have that, you know, there are far more stories of programs 
that go through uh, a, f- a six-year span of dominance, but maybe only one national championship comes from it. And I think Georgia's probably more likely to be one of those teams. And this is just like Georgia's more likely to be one of those teams, and Georgia's likely to be Alabama. And this just to me feels like another one of these early chapters in what I expect to be, again, not slowing, not reversing, not trending down anytime soon. This is just another part of the the Georgia individual tale of uh, you know, that program and that team kind of finding its own and finding its identity under Kirby Smart. Cole Kubelik tweeted during the game something to the effect of, uh, wow, what a game. Why can't Georgia move to the SC West so we can see this every year? And I tweeted on top of it, and I said, we're going to see this every year. <laughs> I mean, this is I, – I, I don't know what my preseason rankings are going to look like next year. I know he's going to be one, and I know he's going to be two. It's going to be some order of Alabama and Georgia. Yeah. And I think that they will be the best two teams in the country next year. Georgia's recruiting is not going anywhere. Look at their team. Look at their – I mean, a, Jake Fromm was freaking dealing. And what in the hell is Justin Fields going to do? As, I mean, that guy may be the most talented quarterback. Literally, he might be the most talented quarterback in the country. And he's sitting on the bench, and I don't know how he jumps Jake Fromm because he's playing so dang good. And look at their offensive line. Almost, four, I think, what, four of those guys are back, and they've got a couple, like three baller freshmen sitting behind them. DeAndre Swift's back. You know, the, the receiving court keeps on getting better. All their, all their, their best defenders with the exception of, of maybe like DeAndre Baker and, and you know one or two guys on the back end. But pretty much all their most talented defenders are freshmen or sophomores. I mean, Georgia ain't going anywhere. Right. So so I'm with you. Like, let's – I'm sorry. Sorry. Hey, man, you had your shot. Like, you had your shot and you lost and that's the playoffs. Sorry. You're out. <laughs> right. I mean, there's three undefeated teams in there, and you lost two games. Um, so, yeah. Um, and and I and I don't know if you have more to, to add to this game, but in way of a potential segue, um, after the game, I kind of laughed about Nick Saban's comments, basically stumping for Georgia to get in. And and I don't. There's a number of ways you can look at that. About Nick Saban, basically. Sure, sure, sure. It it could be for Kirby. It could be for the SEC. There's a lot of different potential angles, but and I think I know where you're going with this. Another angle was I thought of was uh, (laughs) that Kirby uh, that Saban's like I'm not going to be sitting here on the sideline where everyone recruits until January 9th, uh, unless Kirby is alongside with me. Like if I'm going to be not recruiting, if I got to be prepping for game plans, I I need I need Kirby to be doing the same thing because he knows who his competition is, but. My other uh, thought was, well, hell yeah, Nick. You want Georgia in the four because you want Georgia to move up to three. You want to play Notre Dame in that first game. And then you'll take who you get in the championship, whereas the alternative is Georgia's out and you got to play a four seed that just happens to be the best offense in the history of college football. Like, I don't blame you for not really chomping at the bit to get the 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 last seed in the in the college football playoffs who happens to be 
the the toughest offense to defend in the country. Well, you see, they've got a quarterback who's obviously very dynamic, and he can present a lot of problems for our defense, and that's why we've got to execute and execute the game plan and not make mistakes to hurt ourselves. He is he is going crazy thinking about how to stop Kyler Murray in Oklahoma right now. It's gonna be it's gonna be an awesome I, game. I I actually really like the playoff matchups. Me too. I think there's, a, there's a lot of people that like don't believe in this Clemson Notre Dame matchup, but I mean the Alabama Oklahoma one is a no brainer. But I actually believe in this Clemson Notre Dame one as a pretty good matchup too. So I, I'm I'm pretty stoked about even though they're both 11 and 14 point games. I'm a little bit more optimistic that there'll be better games than that. And absolutely in this one. The, Oklahoma's the truth, man. Here, here's here's my, thing, my thing about Oklahoma's offense. This is what I've been talking to. Whenever people have been talking about the playoffs with me today, this has been my thing. Oklahoma's defense is bad, but it, it, it doesn't matter. Oklahoma doesn't – they're not counting on that defense to be good. They're, they're not expecting stops. The Oklahoma is centered around we are going to score every – freaking possession and your offense if you're throwing on air it's hard to score every possession if you're playing seven on seven it's hard to square every possession your offense better be dialed in because if there's one possession where you get a get a you know punt or you just aren't that sharp or you a missed throw yeah i I was gonna say like two missed throws could be the end of a possession I was talking to, um, and that's what happened to Texas. I mean, in part, I mean that, that one of the one of the problems was they like Sam Ellinger wasn't totally sharp. That you know he missed some wide open receivers. Like the 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 sensation of watching your team play Oklahoma, it there is no there is no like, um, you're not tensed up and and nervous when Oklahoma has the ball because you just assume they're going to score. Where you're nervous is when your team has the ball because, by God, if we don't score here, we're in trouble. Like, you have to score every possession. So I don't care if you're playing Alabama or Clemson or Georgia or whoever. If you're playing Oklahoma – if Oklahoma's on their side of the ball, your offense has to be ready to score every possession. So I I think Oklahoma is that good offensively. I think that what we have, especially with – Looking and Dennis made this point when the four of us were all together on uh, sports shouting in quad boxes. Um, <laughs> I feel like Lincoln Riley as a play caller. Do you remember? Like I, I came away from the Rose Bowl last year the against Georgia, feeling like Oklahoma had that game won and then kind of choked it away. That it kind of got a little bit tight, got a little bit of lemon booty, got a little bit of conservative. Like I would not be surprised if Oklahoma leads this game twenty-one ten at halftime. Uh, no, I wouldn't at all. I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma wins. I mean, Dennis was you know we were on our quad talk box, we were on CBS HQ. Shout out, download the app, streaming people. Um, Dennis picked Oklahoma to win and and win the whole thing, beat Alabama and and win beat whoever Clemson. The Dodfather might um, be on it. I gotta be honest with you, man. Like that doesn't. I mean, that doesn't. It's not far fetched to me. Like no, that, I no, was, no, no. I, 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 I was. I, I think was okay Notre Dame winning might game. be more far fetched. I think Notre Dame winning two of these games, and this is not me piling on on the trendy talk of the weekend. I promise. But I was just trying to make a point for Oklahoma. 
I think Notre Dame winning both these games is far less likely than Oklahoma winning both these games. For sure. I agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think Notre Dame is a – could Notre Dame mess around and beat Clemson? I, yes. I think that's, Absolutely. I think that's yes. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence throws three picks and yeah. Notre Dame's defense just dominates the game. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Now, 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 could Notre Dame then turn around and that same team beat whoever's waiting for them in the next game? I just that's that strikes me as hard to fathom. But, but Oklahoma, if you just if you're if you are historically good at one thing, that's 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 maybe good enough. Um, and it's and and it's anyways. Well, let, let's get to the game. What what did you think? What were your takeaways of Texas Oklahoma in general? In general, I was mostly coming back to. And to be fair, I was on a train for about the first two okay. quarters. Yeah, so you were you were at the you were at the you're heading to the ACC championship game, so you didn't you didn't catch all of it. Yeah, I got on the ten o'clock train out of Raleigh, stops in Cary, Durham, Burlington, Greensboro, Concord, Annapolis, all the all across North Carolina. Finally arriving a couple hours later, it was already about halftime. Put my stuff down in the hotel. Walked across the street, get a buffalo chicken sandwich, and and sit down with the second half for a little bit. And uh, and so yeah, I mean my my big game related takeaway was a little bit more, you know, just especially I was hearing a lot of chatter about the ECU job um, as the the James Madison head coach. Houston was in the process of pulling his name from Charlotte, and and now we we believe he will be introduced. Uh, as the new East Carolina head coach here in the next little bit. So I, I was looking at Ruffin and I was thinking about the defense and I was thinking about how Oklahoma had been shredded for this defense. And I was watching the game and thinking about uh, how I thought that group played one of their best games of the year. And for Oklahoma's defense, and you, you're right. If you're historically great at one thing, you can do about anything. But from watching the second half of that game, you know, I, I mentioned the safety of Ellinger, but just in general, the fact that they had matchup disadvantages against Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey that they were never like those. You you threw out a, a phrase, you know, the getting beat off the bus. Like right when Texas wide receivers get on the field against Oklahoma's DBs, it's a win for Texas. And man, they just like Oklahoma's defense just hung in there. And I I Lincoln said Lincoln said after the game, he said I thought that we played defensively. You know, we made some mistakes, but we played one of our best games we played all season. And for that, uh, I gave the Sooners a, a, a credit, a helmet sticker, a nod, a high five for for Ruffin as he's on his way down to the beach, uh, the beach in North Carolina for, at whatever time in June or July. But that was uh, that to me to be able to bring that with everything the college football playoff, the Big Twelve championship, uh, avenging the Red River loss for to have in the Red River loss, which by the way got Stoops fired. I think all of that together was probably my just personal takeaway about this Oklahoma team because Kyler was the MVP. The offense was the reason that they came back and or that they were able to win that game and put it away. But I, I just think that for Oklahoma's defense, as much as they have been rightfully criticized through the year, I thought that that was, uh, that was a good statement for them. I mean, it was the, – and, and you watched probably their better half. Oh, it was it was the first half bad. <laughs> well, the, I mean, so I don't leave that game. Yes, they had the safety, which looked to me just you know that was just a blown assignment. You know, I, I don't know whether the offensive line should have slid the other way or the running back should have blocked. Or opposite. was it that Ellinger only looks at half the field out of that set? 
either way, I mean, there's a protection breakdown. Um, I mean, there's a free rusher. And, and so that, that strikes me as more of a Texas kind of blew that than Oklahoma making a play. I, I think that they look when you give it, when you give another offense enough possessions and you know, you're going you're gonna to stumble into some plays, but I still, like, I don't leave that game feeling any better about OU's defense. I'll, I'll say that. When I, like, my, my, the indelible, like, memory I have of that game is pass interference after pass interference after pass interference. Open receivers, Sam Ellinger overthrowing them. Just, like, the first couple drives, I was like, oh, my God. Like, what? Like, this is going to be, this is going to be another 65 to 60 game. Like, how? How are they going to stop these guys? They're running free everywhere. everywhere. They settled in a little bit. They got a little bit better. But, uh, I I mean, I think it could have been – I think it was a little bit of a sloppy game to me. Like, I think Oklahoma could have played better. They had to settle for some field goals, which is a little bit uncharacteristic. Um, Texas certainly could have played better. Uh, So, I I didn't like – it was there. Like, Oklahoma – wasn't as impressive as I wanted them to look like, but I still think Oklahoma. I mean, I've, I've been a, I've been an Oklahoma guy. I, I believed in them. I, I think they should be in. I still do. And I think they. I, I just said I think they'll give, give Alabama some trouble. But um, so what about this? Were, let me let me challenge you here because yeah. the the people that were watching it by the time I got in had the same feeling that this was not the game that Oklahoma needed to be able to make the college football playoff. As the game was ending and Oklahoma's win was decided. You know, where was your head at in terms of, uh, like, were you saying, all right, doors open, Ohio State, if you want it, come and get it? Because I was talking to some people that kind of had that mentality that if that that was not convincing enough, so that if Ohio State had come and and put another fifty nine to nothing on on in the Big Ten championship game, that they could have jumped the Sooners. Did you have that mentality as the Big Ten title game was kicking off? I still thought that Oklahoma or Ohio State, sorry, had to win forty-two to seven, fifty-three, fifty-two to thirteen. I think it had to be something dramatic. Um, and Ohio State flirted with that. Uh, that was pulling away 40, late, forty-five to twenty-four. Yeah, I mean, it was. And at one point, I think the game was like twenty-four to twenty-one or something. Like it was. Yeah, it, it wasn't the dominating performance that they had to have, um, and so so no, I did not expect. I, yeah, I thought I still thought the door was open for Ohio State to have some sort of insane game, but I didn't expect it. And I do wonder this: given that it was a little bit of a sloppy performance, what do you think, Chip? Do you think, given if the the, the SEC championship game goes as it went, but that LSU game earlier this year, Georgia, Georgia still loses it? But they lose by a last-second field goal. Do you think that that is enough to shift the tide there? Yes, I kind of do too. Yeah, I think if they had just been competitive in that game and just just made it a one-score game, you know, dr- driven down the field with a chance to win it, then I think you could excuse it enough for them to jump a, a, an Oklahoma team that just had a little bit of a sloppy performance. Yeah, but they let Joe Burrow run for like ninety-six yards. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't do this. <laughs> they, 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 LSU dunked all over Georgia in that game. You can't undo yeah. that. No, I mean, it really. I mean, they really did dominate their schedule. Other than that game, 
Um, but and look, so what was it? Uh, so Georgia played three top ten teams and went one and two against them. Very very good football team, one of the best in the country. Probably not in the mix for the national championship, and that's fine. They're gonna go. They're gonna go to the Sugar Bowl and they're gonna play Texas. And the fact that Georgia and Texas's fans are gonna be mixing in New Orleans is awesome. I mean that is that is an incredible social scene. I that's not gonna fall into our our bowl audit, but I'll just throw it out every now and then. Just the the cities that I want to be in for when the fans invade, because fans invading cities is one of my favorite aspects of bowl the bowl life. How are the uh, how is the fandom in Charlotte? Uh, Clemson is very 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 comfortable in Charlotte. The Pitt fans are just nothing but throwback jerseys, which I respect. <laughs> I mean, just because they get the blue and gold Tony Dorsett, they get the blue and gold Dan Marino. I, I was uh, I was sitting at the hotel bar next to somebody in, in a James Conner. Like, he had already gotten the, the personalized throwback James Conner, but nothing warmed my heart like when I saw the Tony Saragusa jersey. Oh, I'm, hell yeah. I mean, a Tony Saragusa 98 pit jersey just really made me feel good about, you know, where th- this pit fan base jumping behind Pat Narduzzi. Um, yeah, I mean, it it was gr- I mean, at the game. It was gross. It was 50 degrees and rainy. I, could, I couldn't tell how bad. I mean, the, the field was nasty, but was it raining the whole time? Like, was the was it was there actually moisture all, throughout the game all day? Yeah. From like maybe 2 p.m. on just nonstop. Yeah. It was, uh, it was not, it was not pleasant. Yeah. Um, I mean that, what was your takeaway from the performance? I think that it was probably bigger picture than anything else. I was just looking at it as a, as a stamp and as a moment and just sort of, realizing where this Clemson team is. I mean, I made that that bold statement last night, and then I, I, I doubled down on, I really do think this is the best Clemson team ever. And I understand that, you know, Deshaun Watson is a special player, and we're watching him in the NFL continue to be stellar. But if Trevor Lawrence goes on to win a Heisman Trophy as a junior two years later, then we go back to look at his freshman year when he was teamed up with all-pro defensive tackle Christian Wilkins and all-pro defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence. And then we start having Miami 2002 kind of discussions about these Clemson teams. And I just, I, I really think that the fact that Dabo Sweeney has built the program so that everyone wants to stick around, everyone wants to stay around, like they, they're just, they're in their bag right now. And I, I, I want to soak it up and I want to continue to appreciate it and write about it and point it out to people because it's unprecedented. We haven't, we have not had a senior class that ever that has won more games in a four year span than the current Alabama seniors and the current Clemson seniors period. And some of that is the college football playoff era. Yes. You add two games, but it is also the fact that Alabama and Clemson have just handed back and forth the number one ranking in the college football playoff era. How insane is that? Two teams are the only ones to have ever been the number one seed, and they just keep handing it off back and forth. Can I make a 
bold statement that I just that just sort of crystallized for me, and I just had a realization about that I may or may not change my mind on at some point. But as of right now, I think I I think I just decided like we are in a phenomenal like golden era of college football, and and by by era I'm saying like last year, this year, next year. Agree. I think what we're about to see best oh, the, I mean, uh, Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson right there. And, and, I, and I think Georgia, you can throw in there too with what they're, cause I mean, if they, when you think about, again, it, look at Georgia, they got Jake Fromm and, and Justin Fields and uh, at quarterback, a, a sophomore and freshman. Clemson's got a true freshman in, in Trevor Lawrence Tua Tagovailoa with Jalen Hurts, freaking backing him up. Kyler Murray following Baker Mayfield. And, and in most of these cases, in the case of Clemson and Georgia and Alabama, almost like we're going to get a year with it's. I mean, that's the, t- the tough thing about basketball to me right now is you get you get one year with these guys, you don't even really get to know them. And in and in football, in, in most cases at the quarterback position, there's this slow growth and development of these guys. And you know, you look up by the time they're juniors, man, this guy's. Uh, I mean, kind of like Deshaun Watson, even. I mean, Deshaun Watson, what do you play like spot duty as a freshman? Got hurt. Yep. Broke through as a sophomore. Kind of had a down junior season, and then broke through again as a, in the playoffs. We're, we're getting all these guys that are playing as freshmen and becoming superstars right away, and and building on it. And all these teams have all these players. Like, I just think that little that group there, that four team group, and you can throw whoever sort of the the, the team of the year that can got to jump in there as, as and Notre Dame is a team of the year with them just being right place, right time with yep. their, with their veteran leadership, with the in book coming into his own. I mean, guys like Tony Jones, Jr. Dexter Williams, like they, they are a right place, right time team of the year. A hundred percent. Yeah. And that, but you know, and like that's, that I think is, that's, that's cool too. That Notre Dame is the, you know, the team of the year and that, and and so whoever's going to be next year, and they'll be, you know, I, last Washington, year, I Washington, you know, Ohio State, USC, someone will be yeah. there. So I just think, man, like this is, and I think ten years from now, five years from now, whatever, we're gonna like this little. We're, this is a really pretty special three year stretch. I think we're in the midst of. I agree. I one hundred percent agree. Uh, your your crystallized moment experienced here as we record the uh, the podcast <laughs> here on Bowl Sunday. I've. I've been sniffing around it, man. I just, I really think that we are, and I give credit to uh, the NBA and the Golden State Warriors because they were the ones that got me there. Or in LeBron, too, where I was like, wait a second. I am a fully formed adult, still a passionate sports fan without anything invested in this. Like the NBA is kind of where I keep whatever little bit of normalcy, I guess, of sports fandom that there is. You kind of sell off your normalcy in college football. I've sold it out in college basketball. I've sold it out in golf. NFL is NFL, but you know, the in professional basketball, I still find it really intriguing. I still follow it from a distance the way that someone who isn't as invested would. And I was like, man, this is a golden era. I need to sit back and appreciate it. And I need to stop nitpicking and I need to remind myself that this is going to be something that's pointed at in history books and talked about and there's going to be anniversary specials and documentaries about and you're actually living it and I'm 100% with you. I think that this is 
Uh, this is one of the this is this might be the best offense that we've ever seen in college football at Oklahoma. I think this might be the best Alabama football team ever. I think this might be the best Clemson football team ever. I don't know, but all three of them are about to go compete for a national championship with oh by the way Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I am 100 there. I'm buying the suite. I'm buying the season tickets. I'm all in. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. This is look. Expand the playoffs, sure. Whatever. Yeah, but but, I mean, let's 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 not let's not forget to enjoy this awesome awesome group of teams that we're about to experience. Yeah. Um. Any any other uh championship weekend game? I you know, Bill Snyder retired today. I I kind of I kind of feel like we'll save that for other more coaching specific talk later in the week. Um. Any anything stand out that you want to make sure we get out here on Sunday night show? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I mean, like we'll we'll have. I, I got a feeling that you know the, the reports now that Mel Tucker's taking Colorado job, uh, the Georgia defensive coordinator. Um, the you know I think the you know Scott Satterfield seems like he's heading to Louisville. Bill Snyder's out. Uh, you know, jobs like UMass and Charlotte that could be poaching sort of high-profile assistants. Like, I got a feeling now the championship weekend is up. We're going to have a lot of carousel spinning to catch up on in the coming days, but we could save that. Yeah. Um, this is. I feel like we got a. We got a good. We got a good chompa, chompa action from championship game talk. We're in the golden. Uh, we are in the golden era of college football. Can we please just sit back and appreciate it? <laughs> uh. UCF go ahead and win you know, 50 scores, 35 in the second half. 35, wow. Memphis only scored three points in the second half. I didn't even realize that. 35 to three second half for a UCF comeback win. I, so they've played four times in the last two years, and I think UCF is outscoring Memphis in the second half of those games like 150 to 20. Oof. That's something. Um, yeah, we we talked a lot about Mike Norvell, but I think it's, I think it's also time to wonder about whether UCF is just pretty good. Yeah, I think that they're pretty good. And sneak peek, uh, they're gonna have they're gonna have a little bit of the the motivation edge in my c- calculations against LSU. LSU? Hell <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> My computer is spitting out a little bit of a UCF advantage. <laughs> is Del- all right, so Delpit's a redshirt sophomore or a junior? No, nah, he's a true sophomore. Okay, so he has to Delpit's play. Delpit's a true sophomore, so he'll play. Greedy Greedy's, probably won't play. Well, Greedy already announced he's going pro. He hadn't said anything about whether he's playing the bowl game. Devin White, I he didn't strike me as the type of guy that's going to take the game off. That's true. Lawrence has been banged up. I would not blame Lawrence if he set out. No. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Burrow. You see, UCF offense. All right. Cool. Good luck. Yeah. Rashawn Gary's sitting it out. Yeah. I mean, I just I'm I'm at this strange place where I, I just assume that if you are of a certain stock and if the game does not meet a certain standard of uh relevance, aka is it the college football playoff? I just assume you're going to sit out. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, I, we can get into that. I mean, we'll see, we'll see as the more announcements come and if it, 
if it becomes a, a lightning rod issue in college football, but I don't know. I've, I, I, I take the other side of it. I'm like, good. Well, you know what? That means the guy that's going to be counted on to replace for Sean Gary to make sure that Michigan's defensive line does not get a step back. I bet he's hungry as hell to get out there. And I bet that that, that player needs to be ready. And I, I kind of take that side of it where it's a, a great opportunity more so than a, an indictment of the player or the program. Yeah, I have, I have, uh, I have zero issue with players taking bowls off. Right. I, I ain't my, that ain't my, my, my hill to die on. I'm with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm good with it. Cool. Cool. Good. <laughs> awesome. Good luck. Um, <laughs> all right. So we will be back. As we mentioned, we got coaching carousel talk to get to. Um, of course, as you know, and every year army Navy will be uh, on CBS. So we'll be sure uh, to get in some kind of preview. I would not guess for a lot, but we will be making our against the spread picks and figuring out a way to break it down uh, as Army looks to capture the Commander-in-Chief's trophy outright for the second straight season. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Yes, sir.